is Anya, and um, I work on staff with um, a college student group similar to Challenge called Connection um, in Bonn, Germany. So I've been on staff for going into my 18th year. Um, I worked in uh, different locations, actually. I worked in a small town called Jena. That's where I studied social work, got to know Martha, our um, leader of Connection, uh, also became a Christian during that time. Um, got discipled by her, um, decided, hey, this is really cool, college ministry, love college students. I should just do that for a living. So um, actually started out in Jena for three years and then moved to a city called Braunschweig in the north. That's where Alex, if you ever have met him, lives now and then uh, moved about 10 years ago, moved to Bonn, Germany with um, another friend of mine. And we started the group in Bonn. Uh, there's actually... Two important people also here, which is my husband in the front, Robin, and then also Eileen, who's also on our staff, and then Fog, too, who is one of our students, who is also from Bonn. I'm really excited and glad that I can talk to you about uh, the topic of contentment. So who's content? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's why you're here. Otherwise, I would have been like... Go to the other workshops. <laughs> um, but no, that's just a joke. But I feel like um, just these past like 48 hours, uh, the Lord has really uh, just worked in my heart as we had to transition from going to beautiful Hume Lake to beautiful Huntington Beach. So um, I don't know whoever has been to Hume Lake. It's very beautiful. So is Huntington Beach. But um, it was a little bit of a transition. And um, so... I know, I don't know, my heart has struggled a little bit with contentment during these past 48 hours. But let me pray, and then we get started. Father, I thank you so much for um, just this beautiful day, for the sun, for this place that we have here um, at Seabreeze. Father, thank you for um, good fellowship, for good teaching, for um, just times of worshiping you. And um, Father, I pray that you would be just among us that you would um, speak through me to um, these students. Um, and Father, I pray that you would use me um, in the way that you want to. Um, Father, I pray for open hearts and minds and um, that you would teach us through your scripture about contentment. In Jesus' name, amen. So hopefully everybody has a handout. Um, if you don't, I don't think we have any more. So look at your friend's handout who sits next to you. Um, let's just start with a little exercise. I originally planned to have a PowerPoint presentation, then I thought like, ah, oh, let's just not do that. Let's just uh, use our imagination. So let's just close all of our eyes. Close your eyes. I see some eyes not closed. <laughs> and when you think of contentment, like what do you think of? Like I think of somebody, and this is funny because we're actually at the beach, uh, sitting by the beach, looking over the ocean, like somebody being like really at peace, relaxed, calm, like no worries. Just life as like wonderful as you ever dreamed of. No fears, no anxiety. Well, actually, like change that picture to somebody who is like super stressed with homework, with school, so many worries people who are in conflict, who are shouting at each other, 
person who's lonely, who's sad. Actually, that's also where you can experience contentment, not just looking over the beautiful beach, but also in those difficult times. And you can open your eyes now. I think that's what we really want to talk about today. Like we want to talk about how we can learn contentment. And uh, as I put in my little description, like one of the verses that is kind of central to this message is in Philippians 4.11. And we want to mainly look at the verses in 11 through 13. But for context, we're going to look at Philippians 4.10 through 20. So let's open our Bibles or our Bible apps, as I do, um, and look at Philippians 4.10 through 20. There Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share my troubles. Verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, that I desire, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have not, have more than enough. I'm a, I'm ampli, ampli, ampli? I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, we glory forever and ever. Amen. So English is my second language. So I hope you have grace with me as I make some mistakes. Um, so let's look at the, the context. Um, as we read just right now, like we see that um, Paul's ministry was also supported by believers like those in Philippi. And um, he's, he is writing in um, this chapter that he had just received a financial gift from them. And he's writing this letter from prison, as he's in prison. And uh, back then it was not prison as it is now, where you get fed three meals a day, but it was really you were dependent on other people to supply and to help you. Um, and as verse 15 also points out, um, that was not the first time they sent him a financial gift. Um, they had done that before. So he was really in a situation, um, as he writes, that where he was like really dependent on other people. And he was also in a situation where he was facing, in verse 12, a situation where he knows what it means to be in need and to have plenty, to be fed and to be hungry, to be living in plenty or in want. So there were multiple situations in his life. And I think what is interesting is or important to see is that he learned 
contentment in these circumstances. He didn't learn contentment after these circumstances had passed. He learned them in these circumstances. And he saw both like positive and negative situations as an opportunity to learn contentment. So even when he had much, when he had plenty, there was an opportunity to learn contentment. When he had not much, that was an opportunity for him to learn contentment. I thought it was like very interesting as I read these verses that um, just this learning part. So the title actually of my workshop was learning contentment, that it is not something you just happen to pick up or something you wake up one morning and you're content, but it's really something you learn and you have to practice. Paul says, when he was hungry, he was content. And when he was at much, he was content in any and every situation. Verse 12. And then he also says in verse 12 that he learned the secret, like the secret of being content. And I think verse 13 shows like what that secret is. He says like, and I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Like he can do all things through Jesus who infused in him his strength. Like he didn't do it out of his own ability, out of his own strength, but really Jesus infused that strength into him. And when we look at another verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, I think we see the same concept from, bless you, from a different angle. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Like Paul saw in these circumstances, in these negative circumstances, opportunities um, for Christ's strength to um, work through him. And so I think that those are like just beautiful verses of like seeing how Paul learned in all kinds of circumstances, contentment. So let's look at like what contentment actually is. Like he said, like Paul learned it. So what exactly is contentment? So here's a little German lesson. And I know the three Germans have an advantage, but. So the um, German word for content is zufrieden. Zufrieden. I know it's a difficult word to say, but let's all say it together. Zufrieden. Zufrieden. That means content in German. And I love the German language. It's very descriptive, like in a way, like it, it, it sometimes just says what it is. So the word actually literally translated is at peace. It means like at peace. So I think like, um, contentment is when you are at peace with who you are and with your circumstances. Like contentment is like to be at peace, zufrieden with who you are and with your circumstances. So there are two aspects of contentment I want to look at. The first one is contentment is letting go of my control and accepting God, accept God, God's control over my life. I, uh, I think I put two, um, descriptions or definitions of contentment on um, your handout as well. The first one is by Linda Dillow. Um, she says, contentment is accepting God's sovereign control over all of life's, life's circumstances. And um, this quote is from a book called Calm My Anxious Heart 
brought it with you with me. It has, I don't know, maybe this cover from the 80s, but the content is wonderful. Um, and if I have one book recommendation, it's this one, Linda Ditto, Calm Anxious Heart. Um, it kind of has a feminine touch too, but I think guys can read it too. Um, I think it has a little bit more um, updated cover as well. So Calm Anxious Heart by Linda Ditto. So a lot of the things, like I'm saying, it actually comes from this book. And uh, this is one of the books. This is not the first copy I got. I think it's the second or the third because I lent it mine to somebody and never got it back, which is all right. But those are one of the books like I repurchase. So if I lose it, I will repurchase it. So if somebody of you takes it, I will repurchase it. But please don't take it from me. So, but get this book and read it because it's a really, really great book on contentment, like the, the subject of contentment. Um, the second definition is from J.I. Packer, and it says contentment is essentially a matter of accepting from God's hand what he sends because we now we know he is good and therefore it is good. Um, I don't know about you, but I do like to be in control. I like to control my circumstances. I like to control like what's going on in my life. Um, that's something I really struggle with. And pretty much like throughout my whole like talk and workshop, uh, I'm going to share verses with you that really help me in these circumstances. When I say like they help me, uh, what I mean by that is like, those are verses I thought about over and over again. Like some of those I didn't even have to memorize because I just thought about them so much um, that I kind of memorized them by accident. Um, so I'm just wanting to share with you like some of those verses that really helped me. So as I uh, meditated on these verses, as I prayed those verses, um, God helped me to um, deal with discontentment. So one of the verses uh, that helped me in the area of controlling my circumstances and letting go of that control is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on uh, your understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. And I really had to pray this verse and still praying this verse. Uh, I even have it drawn on my wall at home. Um, so many, so many times like, Lord, I really want to trust you with all my heart. I do not want to lean on my understanding and I want to submit my ways to you. Like, I don't want to be in control. I want you to be in control. And another verse is Lamentations 3.24, where it says, um, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Just the idea of portion, um, which means like our physical and emotional being, our abilities, our circumstances, our roles, our relationships, our future, our calling, our job, like all of this, like is my portion. And my portion, uh, the Lord is my portion. So he gives me all of this is under his control. Really, he is the boss of my life. So I have to remind myself um, many times, like when I want to control things, to let go of this control and really say like, no, God is, is my portion. I want to submit my ways to him. So it's kind of the, the first aspect of contentment, like to let go of my control and accept God's control over my life. The second aspect is finding my identity in Christ. Elizabeth Elliot said, the secret of contentment is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. It's Christ in me. Um, I'm not only discontent because of my 
uh, I can not only be discontent because of my circumstances, but I can be very much discontent because of who I am. Like with my personality, like I don't like sometimes my aspects of my personality. I sometimes wish I had different abilities, different talents, like different look. Like there are so many things just about myself I can be really discontent with. Um, and the verse that really helped me with that is uh, Psalm 139, 14 and 15, where it says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. And was it when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork, created in God in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I loved how um, Dan said yesterday that we are chosen by God, that we are created and put at this place, at this time for purpose, that we are not a mistake. And um, so many times I thought like, ah, oh, if I would just like look different or be different, or I always wanted to have that one really great abilities you know whenever somebody asks you like so what's your talent i was always like oh i don't know like i guess i can do this a little bit and this a little bit i know somebody feels like this you know, so like if i always felt frustrated not to have that one you know when people can play the piano or sing or dance i don't know artists it's great so um i just had to tell myself like no like god created me the way i am and that's a that was not a mistake. Like that is a good thing. Like God did a good thing with how he created me. And I'm his handiwork. Like I'm created to do um, the good works that Jesus had set before me. Um, so understanding more and more who you are in Christ and understanding your purpose in life really helps with contentment. Um, and the contrast, I think comparison and envy really leads to this discontentment. If I would only be like this person, you know, if I can only do this, like then I would be content. I think this is a lie, like from the enemy um, that really wants to, like for us to be more discontent. So comparison and envy always lead to discontentment. So how do I now learn to be content? Like we want to get practical, like how do I actually do this? Um, let's do a little exercise. So on your handout or a little piece of paper, uh, make a list of positive things that are in your life right now and a list of negative things. We're not going to share this publicly, so you can be very honest. Um, it's just for you. Make a list of positive things that are in your life right now and a list of negative things. Just give you a couple minutes to do that. What, you got your list? List? Okay. I have a question for you just to think about like which um which list do you spend the most time on thinking like which list do you spend the majority of your time like dwelling on like thinking about just for yourself mm, for me it's it's most often the negative side like most often i think a lot about um the things i don't have or the things that i would like to be different in my life instead of the positive things. Um, and I don't know which of the sides also you wrote more things on. That's also like just interesting for you to think about. Um, our thought life, not our friends, our job, our parents, 
anything else determines our contentment. Really, our enemy is in our head, like our thought lives, not our friends, our job, our circumstances, nothing else like determines our contentment. So let's go back to Philippians 4 and let's look at the verses before the verses that we just looked at. In Philippians 4, the verses 4 through 9. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, I really love this whole passage, and it's also a great passage to um, memorize, I think, because you can find things for us to do and things that God does. So our part and God's part. So let's look at some things that are said about our part in this. So verse four, like to rejoice in the Lord always. To me, like that's a challenging verse, like the verse pray like without ceasing or be thankful in all circumstances, like to always rejoice. But there's usually always like things that we can rejoice about, that we can be glad about. Um, Verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all. Like, let's just be kind, like kind to people, kind to one another. Um, let's show our gentleness to people. Um, verse six, like, do not be anxious about anything. Whew, that verse, like, super challenging to me. Do not be anxious about anything. I do worry a lot, and I love to worry and sit with my worries and think about my worries. Um, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And there's again, like the thanksgiving, like to rejoice, to be thankful um, in our circumstances. Then we skip to verse eight, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. I think that's a great verse like for, just thinking about what are those things in your life that you can think about? You know, what are, when you are in your circumstances, like where do you find these things where you can really rejoice over like seeing people either doing certain things or situations where you can um, find things that are lovely, that are noble, that are true. Um, and verse nine, like whatever you have received and learned and heard, like put it into practice, like do it. You know, not just think about it, not just meditate on it, but actually put it into practice, like do it. Um, I, I thought like what was interesting. So now we come to like that was our part in these verses, though those are six things. So if you have written down six things, like that's what I found, like six things. So God has two. And I was like, man, God, I have to do six things and you do two. But then I thought a little bit about what God's part is. And verse seven, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Like I had to meditate on that. Like what does it mean that it transcends all understanding? That means like I cannot comprehend it. 
Like I cannot, like it does not make sense to me. Like it transcends all understanding. It does not make sense to me or anybody else. Um, that will guard your heart. Oops, I'm too much working with my hands. That will guard your heart and your minds. And then verse eight, the, the, uh, God's peace will be with you. Um, and I thought, man, those are great promises by God. Like, I know, like, these things are my part, but God's part is humongous in comparison to um, what the Bible tells me I have to do. But what great promises if we do these things that God really um, gives us peace that transcends all understanding and that he will, this peace will be with us. So how can I learn to be content? Choose to give your anxiety to God. I think that's point number one. And choose to pray specifically. Choose to be thankful. I remember like many times, and I still sometimes have this in my mind as I'm like going through my day thinking like, oh, all negative thoughts, everything is bad. Um, I have Martha's, um, our leader's like voice in my mind. So Anya, what are three things you're thankful for? I'm like, oh, three things. Oh, the sun. And, but as you practice this, actually more things will come to your mind than the sun and the good food which those are good things too, you can be thankful for. But um, that's something like you can just practice in everyday life. Just think about like, what are three things right now? Like I'm not doing so well. I have all these negative things. Like what are the three things you can be thankful for? And then choose to dwell on the positive. Like as you make your list, look at the positive side and think and choose to dwell on that. And then how can you practice these things like this week? Like SEO, bless you. How can you uh, put these things into practice during this week? Um, as we are going through our days, through our weeks, um, whatever you have in your mind relating to school or relating to maybe summer, um, whatever's coming up for your graduation, a new job, like how can you practice being content, um, giving your anxiety to God, praise specifically, being thankful and dwelling on the positive. I love the promise in Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8, where it says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That was Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Um, I really want to be like this tree. Like That's my desire to grow into being being that tree and that I can say like my confidence is in God. And even when trout comes, even when bad time comes, like I'm, I'm planted by the water, like my leaves are green and I don't have to worry about what's coming. Like let God be your confidence. So there are these two little enemies that uh, I found very often in my lives. They're called the what ifs and the if onlys. Those are like thoughts that I have that always come like, and they're really enemies to my contentment. Um, and we remember like our thought life uh, determines our contentment, not our circumstances. So what are the what ifs? For example, what if I get sick? What if my life doesn't turn out the way I want it to be? What if I miss out? What if God is not good? And really behind the what if God is not good is what if he doesn't give me what I want? Like, what if I don't find a good job? 
And so all these what ifs really lead to anxiety. Like they lead to um, just fear. So ask yourself, like, are you judging God by the circumstances of your life? Or are you judging the circumstances based on God's character? Like, are you judging God by the circumstances? Or are you judging the circumstances in light of God's character? Um, if you judge God by the circumstances, then he cannot be good if you don't get what you want. Like, he cannot be good because if he doesn't give you what you want, then, you know, he's not good. Um, one of the great fears, like in my life, is um, what if I get sick? Like, I, um, I sometimes have this, like, sometimes cannot even watch, like, these, like, hospital shows. Because I'm always like, oh, I have that, like, it hurts a little bit there, too. And, and my husband laughs because it's really true. It's really true. I always have this fear of sickness. Um, and I, I have to surrender that fear to God because it really sometimes controls me because I can really get crazy fearful about that. And so one of the verses that really helped me was Psalm 112, 7, verse 7, 112, verse 7. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. So I'm like, maybe there will be one day where there will be bad news about a sickness that I have. There will be bad news about a disease. I don't know, you know, what the future holds, but I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to be fearful because my heart is steadfast and I'm trusting in God. Um, and what also could help is, uh, I read this in also a uh, common anxious heart, the serenity prayer. And I think he, it's, um, it's written by a German theologian, um, Reinhold Niebuhr. That's how I would say the name, but you might say it differently. Um, it's like, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Like, I really love this prayer. Um, just to pray that. Uh, for myself to know, like, there are situations I cannot change and I have to give them to God. And there are situations I can change. If I'm rude to somebody, I can change that. You know, if I've offended somebody, I can change that and I can ask for forgiveness. But um, asking God for the gift, for the wisdom to know what the difference is. And so what are the if onlys? Uh, if only I would be married. If only I would get that job. If only my circumstances would be different, then I would be happy. So if only the circumstances would be different, that would really change my life and my happiness. Um, the if onlys lead to anger. So the what ifs lead to anxiety. The if onlys lead to anger. And one of the examples, uh, which the Bible does not make clear if she's angry, but it's a, an, an example if for the if onlys is Martha and Lazarus. So as he, um, he was sick and they were calling for Jesus in um, John 11, they were calling for Jesus to come because Lazarus was sick. So they were hoping Jesus would come and heal him. And so um, if you don't know the story, uh, Lazarus actually dies. So Jesus doesn't come in time. He dies and he comes after Lazarus is already dead. And Martha goes to him in John eleven twenty one. She goes to him and she says, Lord, if you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother would have not died. Because she believed that Jesus is the, the Messiah. I mean, when you read the verses after that, you, it, it becomes clear, like she knows, she believes in Jesus. 
Um, but what she didn't see is that Jesus' plan, when you look at verse 4 in the same chapter, was completely a different plan. He says, this illness does not, does not lead to death. Well, he kind of died. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I thought it was fascinating to see that Jesus' plan from the start was not to heal him, which would have been great, but it was to rose, rise, raise him raise him from the dead. Like that was his plan. And um, to me, sometimes I only see, well, if only you could do this one thing, but God says, well, but that's not my plan. My plan is a totally different one that you cannot see. Because Martha didn't see Jesus' actual plan. It was not to heal him, but to raise him from the dead. So in verses 43 and 44 in that same story, we see that that's what Jesus then does. Like he raises Lazarus from the dead. One example just from my life, as I see in the what ifs like play out is in the area of singleness. Um, when I was 23, uh, I was in college still, um, and I was given a task to write down my next five-year plan. So my five-year plan was, I think, to get married with 25 and to have my first child with 28. I think that was my five-year plan. I don't know if I had a plan for my job, but I don't know. I specifically, I don't know, I hope I had a job or something. I don't know. But I specifically remember that was my five-year plan. So then um, I turned 25, wasn't married, turned 28, wasn't married, turned 30, wasn't married. So around like 33, I think I remember thinking, that plan has been a long time ago and is not working out as you thought it would. And so um, I think I didn't start really struggling with singleness until I was 36, still not married. Now you're probably wondering how old is she, but it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's no, it's no problem. In Germany, we actually say our age. I'm 43 uh, now. So, um, so 36, like I'm really starting to struggle with this. Oh my God. I don't know if only I would be married. Like I'm a single woman in ministry. If you would just let me get married, then I could do so much more. I could have a husband and he could invest in the guys. I was also leading um, a campus group in, in Bonn. Um, and so I was like, oh, if only I think my life and my ministry would be so much better, God. So I don't know what the deal is. Um, I don't know what your plan is. So um and also, I remember I got really worried when my parents, who are non-believers, asked me about it. So I kept being like, they were really chill until I was like 33, 34. And they were like, don't you, don't you want to get married? And I was like, oh, yes, but not to anybody. Um, and it was always hard for me to explain to them, like, Christian life is a little different. Um, and I also remember that one of my pastors, and um, I studied theology at Southwestern in Fort Worth. Um, and my pastor there always said, like, loneliness is better than regret. It's one of the sentences I always had in my head. Loneliness is better than regret. And so I told my mom, I'm like, I don't want to just marry anybody. Like, I want to marry the person that God has for me. Like, I want to wait. And so at probably about, like, around 33, I think um, when I was, like, really down and really struggled with this, like God helped me with like two verses, like during that time. The first one is in Psalm 84, 11. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good things does he withhold from those who, whose way of life is blameless. 
Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Psalm 84, 11. So I really had to ask myself, like, do I judge God by my circumstances? Because no good things does he withhold from those who walk, um, uh, whose way of life is blameless. I'm like, well, God, you're kind of withholding uh, marriage from me. So are you good? I'm not sure. I'm struggling with this. Um, and so my mentor back then, like, she really helped me with this. And she really said, like, you know, if this is your circumstances right now, this is the good thing that God has for you right now. And I'm like, okay, okay. Looking at life a little bit from a different angle. And I think it really helped me to look at this verse, like from that perspective, like God is good. And just because I'm single doesn't mean that that is not a good thing. That actually means like, this is the best thing that God has for me right now. And so um, I think that really helped me. And then the second one was James 1.17. Uh, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So I had to really pray this verse like many times, saying like, God, like from you, I want to receive this good and perfect gift. It's not, I don't want to make it work out or find my husband, like on my own terms. I really want to wait for your good and perfect gift. Um, as I really prayed and meditated on these verses, I think God really helped me to come to a point um, where I didn't struggle as much like with contentment. But I really do have to say like it's more a waves thing. Sometimes you're okay, sometimes you're not, and then you're okay again. But I really reached a point where I thought like, you know, maybe my life is just going to be like I'm just going to be single. Um, for the rest of my life, but I really have this good community. And so, and I told my really good friends, like if I'm turning 40 and I'm starting to buy all these cats and go crazy, <laughs> you have to tell me, you know, you have to remind myself like, hey, Anya, you're going down a, a weird path. Um, but I really, I think I was really content. Like I was, I was good with um, just, you know, whenever you picture your future, you just start picturing it a little bit differently than maybe you hope with 2023. 20, well, God had a different plan then. You know, I um, actually knew my husband for 10 years when we got married. Uh, things were interesting. If you want to know our story, then you can ask us later. I'm not going to go as much into it. But um, one of the things like I also, like in my journey of singleness, like really struggled with was people always tell me, um, that my standards are too high. Um, and, you know, I live in Germany. It's not that there are um, a lot of Christian men and it's probably, probably here is maybe difficult too, but like Germany is probably still a different uh, like uh, field, I feel like. Um, so I always told people like, I really want somebody not just to be a Christian, but also to really live his life for Jesus. And really, if he has a heart for college ministry, that would be ideal because... That's where God has called me to. And so people are always like, your standards are too high. And um, that also caused just a lot of doubts, like in my mind too. But uh, my husband was also working for Connection when we met. And well, when we met, you, we, you weren't working for Connection, but you were in the ministry. Um, but, you know, now we're doing this together. This is really um, a blessing. But what I also found was, after we got married when I was almost 39, 
um, that my heart has many desires. So just because this one desire is fulfilled, there are many more desires. And if I just uh, connect my happiness with my circumstances, I think I will just always be discontent and I will always be unhappy. So let not your circumstances determine your contentment, but let God, like who God is, and his word be a source of joy and peace and thankfulness and contentment to you. Um, I think this is probably my bottom line, like of all of this. Um, if you just look at yourself and your circumstances, I think you will just always be discontent and always unhappy. But if God is your source of contentment, I think that will be really great for you. So I put a list together of like 10 of my favorite verses um, that I love to think about and meditate on. And a couple uh, next steps. So the first next step, I'm not sure really how the order is on your list, but I'm just going to read my order. Uh, make, a, make a list of three things for the next week that we are here that you're thankful for each day. And I know maybe you already have a thankfulness journal, maybe you don't, but why don't you like every day when you get home, like make a list of three things that you're thankful for. Um, I can promise you like it will change your heart. Like it will change your perspective. It will change your heart. Uh, memorize Philippians 4, 11 through 13. That's also a good way to start, you know, memorizing those verses. Um, meditate on these 10 verses and ask yourself the three questions I think I put uh, underneath. Like, what do the verses teach me about God? What do they teach me about myself? And how do these verses help me in the area of contentment? And then ask somebody um, to pray for your negative list. You know, the negative list that we made earlier, share that with somebody. I feel like, um, especially in the area of, of contentment or discontentment, um, the things that we hide in our heart and we don't share with other people, they can control us. So let not these things of discontentment like control you, but share them with one dear friend of yours and pray about these things. Um, like really be open and honest about um, these areas. I think it really helped me, especially in the area of, of singleness, like to share my struggles with people and to ask them to pray for me about that as well. I think that's when I saw um, like a shift in my attitude as I talked about this with somebody. So I think those are four steps. Like I just want to encourage you to take. And um, yes, I think we have a couple more minutes for questions too. Do you have any questions? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Other questions, is that you mentioned something about uh, or women. <laughs> I mean, just just not that many Christians. <laughs> But also men, I feel like that's probably true too in our ministry, which you say, I mean, we don't proportionally, we have more women than men, but that's probably a different. Um, yes, like in general, like Germany, I mean, with like Luther and the Reformation has a strong religious history, but 
people who really believe in Jesus, I think that is a very small amount. Like I don't have any statistics. I don't want to say any percentage because I always feel like once I say it, I feel like it's wrong, but it's a very small percentage. Like what we usually say uh, when we try to explain it, like at our university in Bonn, we have about 40,000 students. Uh, We have a couple, like about four Christian student groups. Um, So if we put all of them together, like we might have, and I'm just going to be really generous, like 200 students of 40,000. So, and I'm very generous with the 200. So that just gives you like, I think a perspective. And I think, yes, the rest of them are, they, they would say they're maybe Lutheran or Catholic, but that's more a cultural thing. I grew up in the East of Germany. And I think most people would say they are atheists in the East of Germany. That's what I would have said before I became a believer. But yes, you're meant to. I think um, I definitely like agree that wanting something is not a bad thing. Like I think I had to also um, wrap my mind around that that just wanting to get married is a good thing, or liking somebody is a good thing too, you know. But once you get into like demanding. And expecting, like asking God, like, I need this. This is what you have to do for me. I think that's where it becomes like you are controlling. You don't give God like that he's Lord over your life. You are actually wanting to uh, do this. And um, I think I have one example. Like I talked to a friend of mine like a couple of years ago, and um, she used the verse in Matthew 6, like where God, you know, is described as like he's a good father and he would not withhold something from his children that he loves. And so she took it from the perspective of I'm judging God by the circumstances. Um, as she said, like, and it's the same topic about singleness uh, in that conversation. It's like, so like God would not withhold this from me because he is good. So I'm just going to go for it. And for her, that meant like dating somebody who was not a believer. Um, but I think that's not what that verse said. But she took it from that angle of, um, well, God must be good, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, I think she didn't realize like she was more calling the shots than letting God actually rule and calling the shots. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, sure. You're welcome. <laughs> I think like in terms of being like, like launched into students and look around and see doing well out of your friends at times and sometimes getting the things that like, we want and pray for ourselves. When it comes to contentment, like, like what practices would you recommend as far as like being content in that and certain things like that while also like you want to be happy for others in this world as well? That's a good question. Let me rephrase it so I make sure I understand. Um, like how do you, like when you see other people you mean when you see other people have what you want? For example, how do you wrestle with contentment in that? Yes, and also, like, if it's someone, like, near to you, also, like, mm-hmm. be happy with them. Yeah, um, that's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one right there. 
I do wrestle with that too because um, because when you're in college ministry, you also see uh, all these people getting married, and you're invited to all these weddings. <laughs> you know, so and then you are at the wedding and you think like, <laughs> you know. I want to be there, you know, will I ever be? I don't know. Um, but that's also like, I think a very good, like one of the building blocks of faith that uh, Patricia talked about this morning. I think that was one of the building blocks of faith in my life, like to rejoice with people and to be glad and happy for them. Um, and you don't have to, you know, there's a fine line between like pretending or like making yourself be happy, but I think asking God, like, really help me to rejoice, um, help me to um, just be glad for them and express that. I feel like one of my, um, like, my uh, mentor who also helped me in the area of singleness, I think for her, um, the struggle was, like, having children, and she saw um, her younger sister having one child after another, and she... Um, and it was really interesting how God put us together at, at that time where I was struggling with singleness and she was struggling with that because the struggle was almost the same. The topic was different, but the struggle was the same. And so she always said, like, I can either decide to be, um, oh, I'm missing the word, bitter, to have a bitter heart over this, because that's what it will eventually, like, if you're not rejoicing with people, that's the path you're probably going down. Um, to become bitter or to be the best and I can be, you know? And so I think that really helped me also with, you know, as you're writing and rejoicing with people getting married, like the cards you write, you know, and the gift, like to really like practice that. I think that's like, that really helped me in that, like to know like the opposite of rejoicing would be to become bitter. So, and I'm like, I don't want to become bitter because that's no good. So that's a good question. That is rough. It's a building block. Definitely. If I look back at my life, like that happened multiple times where I went to a wedding and that was, it was hard. It was good. It's a good opportunity to pray and to surrender my wishes and my hopes and my dreams to God. Good question. Thank you. Mm, that's good. Mm, I think the Bible definitely helps to um, gives us uh, some advice or a lot of advice in that area. Um, I think everything where where you question, like, am I the Lord over my life? You know, the little illustration with the little throne, and you're on on the throne, or is God on the throne? I think when any areas of your life where you're like, ah. Uh, Am I on the throne? Is God on the throne? I think I would look more into it and I would definitely talk to somebody about it. Like, because advice is a good thing. I think I learned so much um, from advice and mentors and wise people. And I was definitely a person who did not seek advice early on. So I always tell like other people, I'm like, don't make my mistake. Like seek advice and ask people because there have been so many more people like walking like before us who are wiser and who have the answers to all these questions. Um, 
I think that is a, is a good area. I think the Bible also tells us like some areas where we, like what I said, like if we offended somebody and making decisions, like at one point, you know, you ask for advice, you seek, you pray, you seek it, uh, you, you look into scripture. Um, but you know, at the end you are like, okay, with all I have now, like I'm going to make this decision, you know? So I think the Bible really helps you to determine the different areas. Um, but I more often find myself where I'm like, ah, oh, I think I'm on the throne. Let's climb down from the throne and let's give God back his throne over my life. But yes, that's probably the best. I can answer this question at this point. You might want to ask somebody else that question <laughs> to get some other answers. Right. Um, so I can ask a question. My question is, you asked two questions, like the what if, and then mm -hmm. only. I feel like these are questions that are like things that happen in the future. But I feel like so for me, like a question that I often ask myself is like, what could have been? And mm. like kind of regrets or maybe just like regrets and decisions in the past. Um, so like how do you like navigate your past previous, yeah, previous decisions? Mm. I mean definitely like look in scripture also what God says about forgiveness. Um, like first John one nine. Like has been very helpful to me, like to know that if I ask God for forgiveness, like He will forgive and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Um, I only have this verse memorized in German, so that's why I'm kind of translating the German into English. Uh, so you might want to look that up. Uh, but I think that really helps, like to know if something is forgiven, like God is like not thinking of this anymore, like He has forgiven it. I think forgiveness is a big part in past what ifs or past mistakes like we all made for sure like so many mistakes like I wish I would have done things differently or made a different decision um, but I think that is very important like to wrestle with like have I asked that for forgiveness and can I accept his forgiveness like to know the truth of God's character as being like faithful and forgiven and then I if I believe that then I can it helps me to let go of these like past mistakes that I made. I don't know if that helps. The what is from the past. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think the example I gave from uh, my friend, you know, when she just started making her own decision and disregarding basically like God's lordship over her life, I think that's when it definitely becomes a sin. Um, but I also think like whatever you don't, like another verse, uh, you, whatever you don't do in faith, like is a, sin, is a sin. So I feel like we always talk about, like with the students, like when do you call something a sin and when is it like what a mistake? I don't know. Like because like how do you handle the two differently? I feel like, you know, if you don't trust God with things, like, that is a sin. So, yeah, it's a fine line. I think. Yes. Hmm. Oh, you're bringing out all the good questions now. Um, I remember like, uh, just to that, like I, I read a book once and one of the things that the book asked as an application, like from the first chapter, and you should not move on to the next chapter until you accomplish the task from the first, so it was the first chapter. 
So the task was to stand in front of a mirror and say, thank you, God, for how wonderfully you have made me. So I think I did not move on to the second chapter for about two years because I was not able to say that. Like to, like it was, at first I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to do this. And then I thought like, why, why do you think that, that it is ridiculous? So it started a process. So I can do this now, like to, okay, eventually I moved on in the book. Um, but I think accepting how God created you, like that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that God has done as he created you. Probably my best answer. <laughs> I don't remember the name of the book, but <laughs> it was in German too. So that would probably not help. <laughs> All right. I think we will wrap it up now. So you have some more time before the next session comes. But thank you so much.